American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello and welcome to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. If you like American Catholic History, please help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noel Heaster Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about St. Kateri Tekawitha, the Lily of the Mohawks. She was the first American Indian woman to be canonized. Right. The first American Indian to be canonized was St. Juan Diego, who had the vision of Our Lady at Tepeyac in Mexico, and whose tilma has the miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. St. Kateri didn't have any visions that we know about, and she didn't leave behind anything except a legacy of simple faith and sanctity. Many miracles have been attributed to her intercession since shortly after her death. Yeah. And before we get into her story, uh, just something little that you pointed out about her the other day and that I had already experienced the pronunciation of her name. We both said Katiri. Right. What I noted was that Katiri became her name when she was baptized at 19 years old. Prior to that, she was known by her Mohawk name, Tekawitha. But when she was baptized, she took the name of Catherine of Siena as her baptismal name. The Mohawk version of Catherine is Katiri, so it makes sense that the pronunciation should, or could, actually be Kateri, rather than what I've heard a lot, which is Katiri. Yeah, and I've also heard Katiri a lot more, but I worked for a time in the Rochester, New York area, and there I heard it pronounced as Kateri, like you said, not Katiri, like we're both used to. Yeah. And we'll, we will use Kateri just because, well, I know for one, I'll keep messing it up if I try to say it the other way. Also, Kateri became, has become a much more popular name for Catholic daughters over the past few decades. And I can't say I've heard any of them pronounce it Kateri. No, me neither. One additional note about her name. As you mentioned a moment ago, Tekawitha wasn't her last name. It was the name given to her by her Mohawk tribe. It was the only name she was known by for most of her life. We'll talk about what it means and how she got it a little bit later in the story. Yeah. So those notes about her name aside, she has a beautiful story. Tragedy when she was very young, a lot of family and tribal upheaval, a simple conversion, endurance of suffering, and eventually a dedication to Christ that should be a model for all of us. She died young, just 24, so all of this was packed into not very much time. So let's tell her story. She was born in 1656 in the Mohawk village of Osernanen. Now, right off the bat, we've heard that name before. Osernanen was a town in what is now eastern New York State. It's a bit west of Albany. It's where St. Isaac Yogues and St. John de la Lande were martyred in 1646, just 10 years before Kateri Tekawitha was born. We talked about these two and St. René Goupil, three of the North American martyrs, in episode 67. This land was no stranger to Catholics and Europeans by this point. The French had settled in modern-day Canada beginning in 1608, and Jesuits had been steadily working to evangelize the natives all around the Great Lakes. 
One of those evangelized was actually Kateri's mother, Kahenta. Kahenta was not a Mohawk by birth. She was an Algonquin. The Algonquin tribes were more north and east of Lake Ontario, and frankly, they were all over Canada, New England, and whatnot. But Kahenta was just to the east of Lake Ontario. The Mohawk were more in central and eastern New York State. The proximity to the French settlements meant that the Algonquin were evangelized earlier than the Mohawk, so Kahenta was evangelized and baptized. Eventually, Kahenta was among a group of Algonquin women who were captured by Mohawk raiders and were brought to the Mohawk villages. The practice at the time was for these women to become members of the new tribe, marry into the tribe, and bear children to help continue the tribe into the future. Kahenta assimilated, as was required, but she did not abandon her Catholic faith. She married a Mohawk chief, Kenaronkwa, and they had two children, a daughter and then a son. At this point, Kateri didn't have a name. Mohawk children weren't given names until they grew and exhibited something in their behavior that distinguished them. And as fate would have it, she would not get a name from her own parents. When Kateri was still young, smallpox broke out among the Mohawk. Kahenta, Kenaranqua, and their younger child, Kateri's younger brother, all died. Katiri, who, again, still had no name, survived smallpox. She was about four, and she was adopted by her father's sister and her husband, who took over as chief when Kanarankwa died. But Katiri had suffered permanent and disfiguring scarring on her face, and her eyesight was permanently damaged by the disease. This disability contributed to her eventual given name. As she grew, she had difficulty moving about due to her poor eyesight. So naturally, she was a bit clumsy and would fall over things. Thus, she was named Takawitha, which is a Mohawk word meaning she who bumps into things. I'm glad we don't still do that. My my name would probably be like he who argues with everyone or what you said earlier, he who loses things. <laughs> True story. And what would you be? Well, my guess would be she who tries to keep it all together and does a darn fine good job. Uh, <laughs> with red hair, I could be, you know, redheaded oldest child or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I've got other ideas. Anyway, I like <laughs> I like my name better. Anyhow, as she grew, she was schooled in the many skills that Mohawk girls learned, weaving cloths and baskets, preparing animal pelts, food preparation, and other necessary skills. When Tekawitha was about 10, her village was actually attacked by the French. Okay, that sort of came out of nowhere. Why did the French attack? Well, it's a long story, but the very basic version is that the Mohawk were more or less allied with the Dutch. The Dutch had settled at the mouth of the Hudson, so in modern-day Manhattan and the surrounding area. The Dutch were Protestant and were not friendly with the Catholic French, who were up north of the St. Lawrence River. The French were allied with the Hurons, who were not friends with the Mohawk. So, conflicts could be directly between the French and the Dutch, or as in this case, it could be among the allied parties. While the French and the Dutch had religious animosities, the conflicts were more generally about trade routes and the right to hunting and trapping lands for furs. This was more the reason for the conflict of 1666. Okay, so the French attacked the Mohawks near Asernanon in 1666, and to avoid capture or death, Tekawitha and most of the villagers fled into the woods. The Mohawks surrendered for peace, but as part of the peace settlement, the French required that the Mohawk allow Jesuit missionaries into their villages. Yeah, and the Mohawk chiefs accepted this, but they didn't like it. 
The missionaries wanted the Mohawk to abandon their pagan customs and to move to Catholic villages further north. Many Mohawk became hostile to the missionaries. Tekawitha, however, was intrigued by them. She possibly had some fond early memories of her mother that were stirred by their prayers and their lessons about the gospel. But her adopted father, her uncle, forbade her associating with them because he intended her to remain a good Mohawk woman who would eventually marry and bear many Mohawk children. Also, his own daughter, who was older than Tekawitha, had become a Catholic and left home to live in a Catholic village near Montreal. He did not want to lose two daughters to the missionaries. But he couldn't keep her away completely or forever. Tekawitha did what she could to listen to the missionaries and learn more about their faith. When she was 13, another tribe, the Mohicans, attacked the Mohawk village. As the warriors defended the village, the Jesuit missionaries and the women treated the wounded. Tekawitha observed the care given by the Jesuits, and she learned much more about the faith from them. Shortly after this, she declared to her aunt that she intended never to get married. Her aunt would have been shocked by this, because Mohawk women were expected to marry and bear children to raise the next generation of Mohawks. Tekawitha refused to let her mind be swayed as she grew to marrying age, but her aunt and relations didn't relent in their attempts to get her to change her mind. Yeah, at one point her aunt even arranged that a particular young man should sit next to Tekawitha, and she pressed Trekawitha to present him a traditional corn dish that was a sign of being open to courting and marriage. Tekawitha regarded this with horror and bolted from the gathering. After this display, her aunt and other family members and others in the tribe began to treat her with scorn and ridicule, hoping to break down her resolve to remain detached, single, and a virgin. But she would not relent. On the contrary, she continued receiving instruction in the faith. Finally, in 1676, when she was 19, she was baptized. It was at this point that Tekakwitha took the name Katiri, or Kateri, in honor of St. Catherine of Siena. When her baptism became more widely known, the abuse she received became even more intense. She was accused of sorcery and witchcraft and more. After six months of such abuse, with the instruction of her spiritual director, she left her village and moved to a village for Catholic convert natives near Montreal, a village called Kanawaka. At Kanawaka, Kateri found herself surrounded by fellow Catholics who were also striving for holiness altogether. Her mother's best friend was actually there too, and she became a mentor for Kateri. And there was another young woman named Maria Therese who became like a spiritual sister to her. Katiri and Maria Therese took delight in learning about their new faith together under the tutelage of the Jesuit priest, Father Claude Chacotier. They also pushed each other to greater observance of their faith, including practices of asceticism and self-sacrifice that would put most of us to shame. It actually got to the point that the priests in their lives had to warn them to back off on these practices because they were actually harming their health. Self-flagellation, burning themselves, putting thorns on their sleeping mats, and extreme fasting. The women agreed to only take on the penances that the priests would allow them to take. When Kateri and Maria Therese learned about women's religious, they asserted their desire to become nuns and found a religious community. 
But really, for Kateri, it seems that learning about nuns just fulfilled her lifelong trajectory. She had decided upon a life of chaste celibacy back when she was 13, six years before her baptism. Now in her early 20s, the revelation that this state of life was an official and promoted way of life among Catholics really was just an affirmation of her established reality. She said, I have deliberated enough. For a long time, my decision on what I will do has been made. I have consecrated myself entirely to Jesus, son of Mary. I have chosen him for husband, and he alone will take me for wife. But religious life was not to be hers. Her health had always been somewhat fragile as a result of the smallpox. The austere practices she adopted hadn't helped, even though she had backed off the more severe ones under obedience. As Holy Week approached in 1680, her friends and the Jesuits could tell that her health was failing. She faded quickly, and on Wednesday of Holy Week, after receiving the last rites, she died in the arms of her dear friend, Maria Therese. Her final words were, Jesus, Mary, I love you. The first miraculous sign of her sanctity didn't take long to manifest. Those present reported that within 15 minutes of her death, the scars on her face from the smallpox simply disappeared, leaving her face clear, young, and beautiful. In the weeks following her death, three different friends reported that she appeared to them to offer comfort and an assurance that she was at rest and was going to heaven. The cause for her canonization opened in 1885 at the Third Plenary Council of Baltimore, the same council that directed the production of the Baltimore Catechism. Kateri Tekakwitha was declared venerable by Pope Pius XII in 1943. She was beatified by Pope John Paul II in 1980, and after a second miracle was certified and attributed to her intercession, she was canonized by Pope Benedict XVI on October 12, 2012. She is known as the Lily of the Mohawks because she was the first of that people to adopt the Christian charism of chaste celibacy, even before she was Christian. She is one of the most popular and beloved saints of America. The National Shrine of St. Kateri Tekawitha is in Fonda, New York, just a little ways up the Mohawk River from the Shrine of the North American Martyrs in Orysville. Many parishes have taken her as patron, and there are images and statues of her in multiple other national shrines, including the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., because of her struggle to remain pure and dedicated to Christ while living in a society that rejected her faith and ridiculed her for it, St. Kateri remains a powerful model and intercessor for us today. St. Kateri Tekawitha, pray, pray for us. You've been listening to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. Be sure to check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. Also, please support the many fine productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. To learn more about St. Kateri Tekawitha, 
to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org. We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noelle Hester Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest.